You're listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor Bill Carpenter. I want to talk to you about what it means to be liberated. All right, that's a that's a term that we don't use a lot in our normal vocabulary, but we use the term liberty a lot as Americans. Um, but I'd like to talk to you about what it really means to be liberated. And so I really want to just pick up from last week uh, and the background of this passage that Wade read to you this morning is, is really the passage of the year of Jubilee that Pastor Day preached about last Sunday and did such a great job with. Uh, that's found all the way back in Leviticus chapter 25. And if you recall uh, from his message last week, every seven years, uh, the Jews were to observe a sabbatical year uh, and allow the land to take rest. And after seven different consecutive sabbaticals, or 49 years, uh, they were to celebrate the 50th year as the year of Jubilee. All right, now during that year, all debts were canceled. No matter who, who they involved, they were canceled. All land was returned to its original owners, and slaves were freed. And everybody was given a fresh new beginning. It was an amazing, amazing opportunity, if you will, okay? Um, And this was the Lord's way, really, of sort of like balancing out the economy and keeping the rich from exploiting the poor and giving everybody this sense or this ability to kind of start over again. Now, let's be honest. How many of you have ever thought, if I could just start fresh, if I could just begin again, if I could just start over Man, would that not be an absolutely marvelous thing? Well, this was a type of starting over. This was a point in in the lives of the Israelites where they were able to have this happen. And God ordained this. God planned this. Even before he gave them the land, before they went in and took the land, he had instituted this with them, had given it to them. But the reality is, if you studied, it would appear that the Israelites never, ever partook of the year of the jubilee they never ever went that far which is the most unfortunate thing all right but here's what i want you to understand and that is that we um we are living in jubilee all right and i think david brought this out really well last sunday but but if you've trusted christ as your savior all right if you're if if, if you know Jesus as your personal Savior, you're living today in what we would term a spiritual year of jubilee. You have, um, you, well, you've been set free. You, your, your bondage is gone. Your spiritual debt to the Lord has been paid by Jesus on the cross, all right? So you're living in what is the acceptable year of the Lord. This is the time for you to rejoice and to be glad and, and, and to fulfill the mandate of God because it is the acceptable year of the Lord for your life. So instead of ashes for mourning, you are given a crown, so to speak, spiritually speaking, for your head. Uh, he's made you, according to Revelations chapter 1, uh, I think it's about verse 6, you've been made kings and, and queens, if you will. You, in other words, you've been anointed for a, a position, for a, a, a place, and uh, that anointing for us is from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our oil of gladness, if you will, and we're called to wear a garment, That garment is called righteousness. Now, these are a lot of metaphors that we're using here. But we're understanding here that we have an identity. That identity is in Jesus. It's in nothing else. It's in no other place. 
Now, the reality is that we, many of us, have gotten our identities from a lot of other things. We've also gotten our identity from traumatic experiences. We've gotten our identity from uh, circumstances and situations that we've been involved in. There are certain things about our lives that other people use to identify us. Oh, well, he is. Oh, well, she is. And, and, and we hear those things and we take those things in and we internalize those things and they become our identity. And the reality is that Jesus, if we are truly liberated, has given us an identity. And that is the identity that we want to grab a hold of and we want to hold on to. But I think we've got to understand that identity a bit. All right? And so we're preaching to you that you're living in Jubilee. This is, this is a wonderful place for you and I to land. The problem is, like the Israelites, a lot of us have this promise in our lives, but we are not living in it. We are not taking advantage of the Jubilee. We're not taking advantage of the acceptable year of the Lord because we're still living in some type of bondage. We're living in some place that is a lesser place. We're living in some place that is holding us down, and we're not fulfilling the will of God and the purpose of God for our life the way that we should. We're not flourishing as God's people. We're still being held back, if you will. And some of that uh, definitely evolves around false identities, all right? And, and being told that we are something that we're really not, nor did God intend us to be, and not understanding what God has told us we are and understanding what He intended that we will be. And so we get it kind of messed up there. And hopefully these classes that we're going to be offering to the men and to the women are going to help to do this, to take care of this process of being liberated, uh, understanding our full identity, realizing the kinds of things that, that, that we have to fight and, and battle in this life and maybe some of the bondages that we have been coming under in our walk with God. Now, to start with, though, let me say this to you. If you are not a Christian, if you are not a person who has accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, that is the beginning point of your liberation. So the things I'm talking about here, I'm talking about them in the, in the sense of Christians who are bound up. And I'm talking about you getting free because of the identity that you have. But if you're not a Christian, that's the beginning place, is that you understand that, that Jesus has done for you what you could not do for yourself. And He has become that sacrifice for your guilt and your shame and your sin in order that you don't have to pay that price. And He's already done that on the cross. So your identity is resting. It is set, if you will, in the Lord Jesus Christ. But you're going to have to take hold of that. And so for those of you who are not believers today, that would be the beginning point. That would be the, the entry point for you today is accepting Christ as your Savior. All right? Now, we've also been given um, a mandate, if you will. How, how do we live out our mandate in the world? It's the same mandate, if you will, uh, in some sense, that Jesus spoke of himself uh, in the passage that uh, Wade read to you. We're called to go and make disciples. We're called to bring this truth. We're called to bring this message of liberation, if you will, to those around us in a dark world. And we are called to do this so that they might have the same eternal life that we have. They might experience the same gifts that we do in that they too will be able to go to heaven. Uh, that this gospel mandate uh, is, is to be witnessed around the world. And we are a part of that witness. 
And so we see Jesus here and we have to look at ourselves and say, okay, I, I am in the image of Christ. I am like Christ and I have a, a, a joint airship with, with Jesus Christ and I'm his younger brother or I'm his younger sister and I need to be with him in this mandate to go into the world. Isn't it interesting that Jesus quotes this text in his hometown that is relating him to to the work of God's Messiah. And, and the reality is that through Jesus now, this, this prophecy is being fulfilled. And he's, he's inaugurating his kingdom to bring salvation here. And, and so he in turn, further down, transfers this ministry to you and I. And the work that he establishes, the work that he identifies himself as being called to do, he then in turn gives that to us. So in a sense, he not only liberates us from our bondage, but he liberates us into our full identity in him in that we are to minister the gospel, the liberation message, if you will, to those around us. So he transfers this over to us that we are to preach the good news to the poor. Now, what does that mean for you and I? I, I think that we look at the poor or we hear the word poor sometimes. We see it in print and, and we immediately go, well, that's some person who's sitting on a corner somewhere or they're, they're out by Walmart. They've got their little cardboard sign. They've written on it in some, some cheesy message to try to get someone's attention and they have a cup or something there and they're forlorn looking and, and, and maybe um, a, a bit rejectable in some way to some people. Uh, and, and, and so we, that's what we we see when we think of the poor. But I want us to think in the terms of poverty this morning and think about the ways that we may experience poverty even in our own lives. In ways in which we might be poor. You say, well, I'm not poor. I'm, I come from a decent family and, and we've got what we need and we have food on the table and we, we all drive cars. True. But there are those who are poor who have spiritual poverty. They, they, they don't enjoy a richness in Christ. They don't enjoy a richness in, 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 the, in their, their community of faith. They don't enjoy a richness in, in, their, in their relationship with Jesus and, and with others. Which, which brings us to another type of poverty, and that's relational poverty. There are people who who don't relate well, even though they would want to or would desire to. It's very difficult for them to have relationship with others. And hurts and pains of this life and difficulties and circumstances has caused them to, to wall up. And so there, there's this, this invisible but very real wall that comes up in front of people so that they are not capable of relating, even though their heart would long to do so. And so there's this poverty of relationship. There's emotional and psychological poverty for people. People who have been traumatized in various ways and they've been, they've been hurt deeply to the point that it affects their psyche, it affects their emotions and their feelings and the way that they respond and react to circumstances and situations in their lives. And they, they find that they don't have a good ability or a good coping mechanism or a good healthy defense mechanism or the ability to set boundaries very well. And so they, they begin to realize that they have a poverty uh, that is in the emotional and psychological realm. And there are others who have material poverty as well. We understand that. And that, that includes everyone, folks. That's, that's not one type of people. 
And, and we, we, I've said this from the pulpit, that as Americans, we're quite wealthy compared to the whole of the earth. Globally speaking and in comparison, we're a very wealthy people. If you got here in a car this morning, you're considered quite wealthy. If you had a good, solid breakfast before you came this morning, you're considered quite wealthy. And if you didn't have time for that breakfast and you were running late and you just said, they always have stuff at Life Church and I'll just get my breakfast there, you're just tremendously blessed of God. We're comfortable. But what, here's what I want you to understand. In our comfort, in our wealth, in our, 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 our uh, abundance, if you will, there are still many of us that are sitting in some place of some type of poverty. And some of that poverty creates bondages for us. Or we do things out of that place of poverty that causes bondage to enter into our lives. And so we're bound, we're chained by that kind of stuff. Jesus, throughout his ministry, his death, his resurrection, he was continually bringing the jubilee of jubilees where debts would be written off. They would be canceled. My debt is paid, all right? My, my death he died for, that I wouldn't have to die this death to pay for sin, all right? He, he was continually doing in such a way through his, his ministry, his death, and his resurrection that slaves would be released, that, that there would be restoration that would take place. He died and was resurrected that you and I might preach good news. That, that we might spend our time sharing the goodness of the Lord. But you and I, we, we can't do it all. So where do we find ourselves in this mandate? I, I believe that we begin to look as a body of believers at, at the gifts that the Lord has given us. We don't take on some kind of messianic complex. We're not going to burn ourselves out in, in Jesus, all right? We're going to live and we're going to serve out of the fullness of Christ. And we're going to do that, folks, as a team of people together, empowered by the Holy Spirit. But here's the angst. You and I cannot fully do that if we are not liberated. If we're not free, in, in, in the sense that Jesus came to set us free, we're not going to be able to do that. And we're going to spend all of our time helping each other get free at the expense of Proclaiming the gospel to a lost world. And so it's imperative that in the church that you and I begin to understand what Jesus has done for us and begin to walk out our liberation, doing whatever is necessary, getting as radical as we need to get, getting as, as crazy as we have to to get ourselves set free. We need to be a people that are desperate about experiencing and, and, and sharing the liberation of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you what. I would never, if I were, if I were a chain smoker I, and I wanted to quit, I would never sit down with another chain smoker and say, show me the way to be free. I wouldn't do that. If, 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 if I had a horrible eating problem, I wouldn't, and I wanted to lose weight and get healthier in my lifestyle, my eating lifestyle, I wouldn't sit down with someone who has horrible eating habits and say, show me the way out. I wouldn't do that. 
I wouldn't condemn either of those persons. But I wouldn't go to them for my freedom. Why? Because they're not free. It's very difficult for you and I to reach a lost world with a message of liberation if we're bound. And we're living in that bondage continually. And so I want, I want us to be challenged today. As I, as I preach this message to you, I want us to be really challenged that we begin to see this Jesus of Nazareth as the liberator, all right? And this passage that, that, that Wade read to you says, you know, Jesus came. He came back to Nazareth, to his home, uh, where he'd been brought up. And, and, and as was the custom, he went in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. I love that little passage. Jesus probably didn't really see where he sort of fit in the synagogue very well, uh, possibly, uh, given the message he was about to bring, but he went there. He went there and he stood up among them. And it says that, that as the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, he unrolls the scroll and he, and he comes right to that place, that, that place where it's written, okay? Uh, what? What is written? What he specifically wanted to say. That's what was written, exactly what he wanted to convey. And that's, that's very interesting because here's this, this young man, all right, who's coming in and he's, he's rolling and rolling. And, and those scrolls didn't have all the, the, the little places that mark the, the scriptures like you and I do. So I can tell you, well, why don't you turn to Luke chapter 4 and, and why don't you look at, at, at verse 16, all right? He didn't have it. So he turns the scroll until he gets to the place where he wants to be. And there he just begins to read, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now, this is, this is intense, folks, all right? People have heard about him. People have heard about this Jesus who, who does amazing, miraculous things. They understand that, that he, he is from Nazareth, and they know he's come back home now, and he's in the synagogue, and, and they're giving him an opportunity. These men know him, probably, by name. And they're going to let him speak and teach in the synagogue. And so he, he goes in, he stands there, all right? And he gets the scroll and he opens it up and he begins to read. And I'm sure that they, they were wondering, what in, what, of all that he could say, what will he say today? What will he give us that will inspire us? What will he give us that will teach us and, and give us profound revelation? What will he give us uh, that will move us today? What is the passage that is going to make the difference for us today? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the jubilee of jubilees. The year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolls it back up. And then he goes and he sits down. And the Bible says every eye of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them. And this is, where, this is the bombshell right here, folks. This is where he knocked them down. Today. Right now, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Whoa. What's he saying? I, I am the Son of God. 
I have come to bring the liberation that you need. The Spirit of God is upon me. This is, this is one of the most wonderful Trinitarian kind of messages right here. You got God at work. You got the Holy Spirit at work. You got Jesus standing up and saying, yes, I am the Son of God. I have come. I am going to liberate those who will be set free. So, so now Jesus indicated that these verses are being established. They're being fulfilled, okay? He says they're fulfilled in your hearing. As you hear them, they're being fulfilled. They're being established, all right? So he's saying, I'm going to do this now. And, and he continued to do miraculous things. He continued to set people free. He continued to heal blind people and, and deaf people. He continued to bring salvation all about him. But he died, and he was resurrected, and he ascended to the Father. But in all of that dynamic that was going on in this short life of Jesus, he was constantly moving towards the place of empowering his church to do his works. So it isn't just something where we go, okay, Jesus did that, sweet, tie it up, put it away, and say, good job. We have to wrestle with this now, folks, because the mandate has been put into our hearts and our hands. We are called. We have this same jubilee. We have this mandate to see captives set free. So... <laughs> what, what does it mean to be liberated? What does it look like for you and I to have liberated lives today? What does it look like to fulfill the mission of Jesus? And that's what you and I here in Life Church have to wrestle with going forward. This is what we have to take hold of and say, how is it going to look for Life Church? How is it going to look in this neighborhood? How is it going to look on the college campuses? How is it going to look in the, in the city? How is it going to look beyond when we send people out on mission. And we have to get ourselves to that place where we understand not only how amazing it is that he had such influence in his time, but the reality that that influence has continued over time. And it is poured over historically time and time again until you know what? It's just as vibrant a dynamic today as it was the day he stood up and said, Today it is fulfilled. But the amazing thing is it is you and I are standing up and saying, Through the church we will fulfill his mandate. We will go and we will liberate and set captives free and do all of these kinds of things. Both the prophets of the Old Testament, the apostles of the New Testament, they were emphatic. They declared that this is the Messiah. This Messiah, who is the Lord Jesus Christ, he came into the world. But they don't stop there. They are, they are emphatic to say he came into the world with purpose. He came into the world with reason. He came into the world with goals that he established up front. Listen, this is like someone saying, okay, here's what I'm, I, I have a resume it is, I'm, I'm, I'm the Son of God. The Spirit of God is upon me. But I have a mandate. I have a, I have a job description. This is what I'm going to do. And he lays it out very, very well and in detail. And we all know that, that the, real, the, the real evaluation of a person's success in this life is whether or not they can do what they say they can do. Whether or not they can pull it off. 
whether or not they can make it happen. And Jesus made it happen. Jesus did this. This wasn't idle talk. This wasn't idle boasting. This wasn't empty promises. Jesus said, this is who I am. This is what I'm going to do. And he did it. But that's not the period. He then says, and now, all the power that is given to me, I give to you. Go and make disciples. Wow. That's where we land. And so, work was assigned to him even before the world was formed. And he accomplished that work. And we're not left in the dark about what needs to be done. We see it in what he stood up and declared. And so, Christ came to do certain things. I want to give you here this morning three things that I I think we we need to just... Etch them in stone, if you will, okay? All right? Number one, Jesus came to do the will of God and become our substitute. All right? That's that's the first thing he did. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 through 7 says, Therefore, as he was coming into the world, he said, You did not want sacrifice or offering, but you prepared a body for me. You did not delight in whole burnt offerings and sin offerings. And then Jesus spoke and he says, See, it is written about me in the volume of the scroll. I have come to do your will, God. And then verse 10 in that same chapter tells us that because Jesus perfectly did God's will. All right, perfectly did God's will. We have been sanctified through his offering. He he has sanctified us in giving of his own body once and for all so that we may become vessels that are honorable to God. In other words, Jesus' intent was not just to die, but to to sanctify you and I so that we would be honorable enough that God could pour His Spirit into us and use us. This is all a plan from the foundations of the world. So Jesus came to do the will of God and become our substitute. And the second thing is, he came to save his people from their sins. I want you to understand that. He came to save his people from their sins. The angel of the Lord explained to Joseph, and, and um, it was during Mary's pregnancy. And this is sort of, it's almost like this is a, a purpose statement. The angel comes and says, she will give birth to a son, and you will name his name Jesus. And here's why. He will save his people from their sins. His whole, his name, his identifier was such to to explain his purpose. To save his people from their sins. The third thing I want you to understand about Jesus coming, what he did, is that he then, he gathers all that God has appointed who would believe. I think one, one of the most remarkable sort of pieces of imagery in Scripture for me is that when the Savior was identified as shepherd, John chapter 10, he, he says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. 
They will listen to my voice. And then this is what he says. There will be one flock, one shepherd. That is, that is beautiful. That is, I, I, I don't know about you, but that, there's something about that. He is, there isn't any other shepherd. There isn't any other way. There isn't any other path. It is Christ. He came as the substitute lamb and in turn becomes the shepherd that, that we all may be gathered in that unity, in that oneness with him. And I, I, I think that's stunning. I think that's quite amazing because it, it, it continually helps us to be reminded that, that our salvation is 100% on him not on us you folks please understand you cannot save yourself and this is why many of you still live unliberated and in some type of bondage because you've not really fully understood the gift of salvation the free gift of salvation and you're still trying to get cleaned up you're still trying to do things to make yourself okay you're still trying to find ways to 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 say that i'm good i'm whole or i'm satisfied and those things will not make you whole they are not good they will not satisfy you they can't do it and you're robbing god of the privilege to have the glory of being the sole source of your personal salvation let's get liberated let's let god have the glory Let's let, him, let's let him do what he came to do, all right? Let's, let's live in this kind of liberation and this kind of identity as God's people. Let me, let me jump over just a little bit here. Um, he says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives, to recover the sight of the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is amazing. Now, if you go down a little further, it starts starts to talk about how that the intent is that you and I, and this is a beautiful metaphor, you and I would become mighty oaks, oaks of righteousness. All right? There's, there's There's a connection between liberation and righteousness. And the righteousness is not our own. It is God's. It is, it is, it is the work that he does. He, he makes us righteous, all right, through his shed blood. But he intends that we stand with some type of purpose. There needs to be flourishing in our lives. And, and he describes that using this metaphor after he talks about all of this that, that I just read to you. He, he talks about us growing up into these mighty oaks. Now, Maybe you ought to go out and look at like a full-grown oak tree sometime. They're big suckers, all right? They're, they're, there's nothing small about them. There's nothing little about them. If an, if an oak tree has flourished, it's huge. And it's, it's considered imagery of, of strength and stability and endurance and steadfastness and longevity and sustainability. And God is, is giving us that image so we understand what His intent is for us. 
We are not called to be weak. We're not called to stay small. We're not called to, to live in that place of where we are like some small tender plant. But we are to grow up in Christ. And, and please understand, Jesus was reading this passage to everyone in the house who they knew that this referred to a much longed for prophesied Messiah who would deliver Israel from their oppressors and bring justice to the world. But he's saying, hey, that Messiah, that, that Israel spoke of, you're looking at him. Wow. You're looking at him. Jesus' own self-understanding was that he was the fulfillment of the prophecies about the heaven-sent deliverer. That's who he was. That's, that's how he stood up and identified himself. And because he understood that, he lived that out. And he fulfilled those things that I, those three areas that I talked to you about, okay? Now, here's what I want you to understand. Until you fully understand who you are in Christ, until you fully understand what God has done for you, you'll never be able to do everything that God is asking of you or has planned for your life. You'll live less. The Spirit of God is here to liberate you from whatever has held you back. Whatever circumstance, whatever situation brought some kind of bondage or some kind of deficiency into your life, God's intent is to remove that through His Son, Jesus Christ, that you might be able to be an oak of righteousness. That you can live in that place and function in that place. Because now you have self-understanding. Just as Jesus had self-understanding and could get up and say, I am the fulfillment of this. Folks, you and I need to be standing up and saying, you know what? As God's child, I will fulfill everything that God says about me. And I will live out of this mandate. And I, I will function as God's child. I will function as God's servant. I will function as God's messenger. And that we are living in that kind of relationship with Him. Now, let me, let me show you something about the mission of, of Jesus this morning that, that is, is, is in this sermon where He says this, this the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, this sort of marvelous Trinitarian phrase. Um, he's, and he's, he, 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 he says, I, I'm here to bring good news to the poor. And I want you to understand that that's sort of an overarching purpose. I think it gathers everything else up, up inside of it, and I think that's very important for us, all right? He has good news for those who are poor, literally, and, 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 and are humble and, and lowly and, and needy and afflicted. You know, Christ... Christ looks for those who've been passed over, the outcasts, who, those who realize that they need somebody. Uh, that's, that's who he came for. He comes to those who know that they're sick and, and they, they need healing. He, he comes for those who just know that they're not well. He says, blessed in, are, are the poor in spirit. Jesus would, Jesus would want very much to get around those kind of people. He has this good news that he, that he wants to preach and, 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 and shout out to anyone who would who would realize just, just how desperately they need a Savior, all right? He's, he's come for those people. And, and, and Isaiah sort of lays this out as to how he might do that. And that's what I want us to, to kind of land on today in this, in this message, 
is that now we, we understand that Jesus came. Jesus gave us an identity. Our identity is in Him. We have a mandate. That mandate is to go into all the world. We need to, we need to be like Jesus in what He came to do. We need to do those kinds of things as well. But how does that look? How, how does that take shape for you and I as God's people? And this can happen whether you're in here or you're on a college campus or you're at your job or, or, or whatever the case may be, all right? These are things that can happen as you interact with people. And here's the people that you need to be aware of, all right? You need to be aware of the same kind of people that Jesus came to liberate. You need to be aware of those people who have needs, those people who are, are broken, those people who are poor in some way. We need to learn how to see with the eyes of Christ. We need to learn how to discern these things so that we can be aware of these things. Now, I'm not talking about you getting so overwhelmed with the needs around you that you can't do anything. And I'm not trying to put anything on you that says you have to take care of everybody's needs and meet everybody's needs. But here's what I'm telling you. If you are a child of God, there is someone that God is going to allow into your path. And that person is there for the purpose that you might allow them to flourish through your ministry. And that you are called to help bring this liberation and this truth to them. So how does that need to look for you and I? Three last things and we'll close. When we look at Christ, we see that he binds, the scripture says, the brokenhearted. Jesus says he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. I think you need to be able to stand up and say, Jesus has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. You've got to understand that, that when Isaiah was speaking these things out, he was speaking to people who were about to see their nation just absolutely topple. The temple would be demolished. Everything they knew would be gone. Um, they didn't know if God would be their helper in the next day. They didn't know if he really cared at that point, about what they were going through, some of them. The message of Isaiah is he will be there to bind up the wounds of your heart. Folks, there are, we, we think about this in, in the terms of the Old Testament, and we think, yeah, well, that, I understand how they would have felt that way. But here's what I want you to understand. We listen to this, and it's, it's like this romanticized story, this, this, this beautiful history. This, and we see all of that, and it's almost like we, we, we just move ourselves away from that because it's old history. But the reality is, what I want you to understand, if you will be sensitive, there are people right out there that are brokenhearted. There are people out, all college students. There are young men and women on your campuses that are in a broken state. And some of them, they don't know God. Or if they are Christians, they may be in a place of such bondage, bound by shame and bound by, by trauma and, and, and other things and lies and deceptions. And they may have done some things that they just don't feel like they can get out of that hole. They can get out of that pit. And it's got them all broken up on the inside. And they are so messed up that they are going to have to have help. They can't do this on their own. I know God is able. I know God is sovereign. But God uses His people to bring about the healing of the brokenhearted. And you and I have got to be able to be sensitive to those around us and be willing to sacrifice of ourselves just as Jesus made sacrifice for you and your sins. We now make sacrifice for others that they might be liberated as well. He cares. 
He knows what we're going through. He'll be there for us. Can we say the same for someone else? Can we be like Jesus? And on a, on a deeper, like, spiritual level, I think this needs to speak to those who are broken over their sin. They've, they've grieved over what they've done against God and, and against others. Asking, can God forgive me? Will he, will he really take away my sin? Will, will he really do this for me, knowing what I've done? And I want to say to you, yes, he will. He'll do it today. He'll liberate you today. Right? So he, we bind the brokenhearted. Second thing we do is we, we set the captives free. And I love this one. Jesus said, he sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and proclaim freedom to the prisoners, right? I don't, I don't know the full depth of what this, the full impact of this, but I, I know this. We've been given a message that has a spiritual power to it that can literally set someone free. There's, there's an old Muslim proverb that, that I think is, ast- is outstanding. It speaks about a man in the desert and he travels about. And this proverb says that the worst of infidels is the brother who knows where the water is in the desert but tells no one. God has given to you a fountain of life. How can you hoard that fountain? How can you hold back? There are people out there who are going, can anybody rescue me? Can anybody help break these chains of slavery in my life? And spiritually, this speaks to the captivity of sin that takes hold of people. We are slaves. Folks, some of you are, are Christians who are slaves to the devil because you're allowing the enemy to hold you bound in certain activities or certain habits or certain situations. And all the time, God's Word is saying that He has come to set you free. This is such a horrible incongruency for us as God's people. How can we live in these overt bondages? When we are proclaiming that we follow the liberator. We have, we've got to, to let God begin to work in us. Because this is what he has come to do. You don't have to be that way. You don't have to be there anymore. And together we find our ways out. Together we help each other to get free. And together we proclaim this freedom. Not only for one another, but we take it beyond us. The third thing, and we'll close with this, is that based on Jubilee, he restores what has been taken away. Jesus said, He has sent me to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor in verse 2. The year of the Lord's favor is a reference to the year of Jubilee, the provision of the law that every 50th year all slaves were to be set free, all debt was to be canceled, all the land sold was and taken for debt would be returned. It was like having all your credit cards paid off, your mortgage canceled, your debt settled. It's like hallelujah. It's a fresh start. 
and the year of Jubilee was meant to be this Old Testament picture of salvation through Christ. It pointed every bit to the Messiah. When a Christian is saved and they're set free from their their sin, their their own personal sin, if you will, that is that is a message. That is a that is a, a, a cancellation of debt, if you will. It is it is a message that that the enemy does not have the power to enslave you any longer. It's a message to the sinful nature that there is one greater and there is a new nature that is given through Christ. And so God then begins to restore in us those things that have been lost and have been robbed away from us. I don't know where you are, but I want to tell you this. God does. He knows exactly where you are. And He's not here today to shame you. He's not here today to make you feel small. He's here today to liberate you and I. He's here today to do exactly what He can do in a year of the acceptable Lord, the acceptable year of the Lord. That's what, he, that's what He's after. Uh, some of you may have seen a movie back, I think it's back in 2002, Antoine Fisher. Anybody ever hear of that, that movie? A little movie. Didn't do much, I don't think. But, but Antoine Antoine, I believe is his name, Antoine Fisher. Uh, it's a true story of a young man that was abandoned at birth uh, by an in- incarcerated woman. And he was raised in some very abusive orphanages, foster homes, referral, reform schools, those kinds of things. On his 18th birthday, um, a- Antoine, he joined the Navy. And um, as soon as he joined the Navy, a whole lot of the anger that had been pent up in his life over those first 18 years came to the surface. He had a bunch of fights. He was ordered to undergo some counseling and, and stuff. And a psychologist, his name was Jerome Davenport in the movie, he was played by Denzel Washington. He encourages Antoine to find his roots, all right? And that would be the beginning of his healing. And so he made a bunch of phone calls around to some, you know, sort of uh, estranged family. And uh, one of those calls reached an aunt and uncle, uh, and they were in Cleveland. And uh, they, he went to see them, and, and in, in the movie, they escorted him uh, to a, a very dilapidated, like, apartment building, you know. Uh, and there was his estranged mother. That was where she was living. And uh, she was a very suspicious, very aloof woman, but she answers the door. Upon realizing that, that Antoine was the child that she gave up at birth, um, she retreats into another room. Um, and she sits down on this dirty, uh, old, worn-out couch, and she just sits there, and she just cries silently. The tears just roll down her, her very tattered and, and, and leathery cheeks. And Antoine, he's asked, you know, can, he wants some kind of explanation as to why she never came to rescue him or, or why she never sought him out. And, and this poor woman just cannot answer him. She just simply stares ahead. Um, she doesn't dare look at him. Tears, again, rolling down her cheeks. Her, her face is, has no expression whatsoever. He walks over to her, and he very gently kisses her on the cheek. Sort of like a, you know, you, you, there's no words being spoken, but it's just like you kind of know that something's happening, and it's like that he is, he is forgiving her, you know. Um, and he walks out of the apartment. And uh, he doesn't have any questions answered. Um, he rides back to the house with his aunt and his uncle. He gets out of the car. Uh, he's very slow. His, his gait is very slow about the way he goes 
forward and you know you can see you just can see the loneliness the heaviness on this man no hope of any kind of meaningful connection with anyone he is desolate he is desperate he is alone the years have robbed him completely of everything he has no identity he has nothing to connect to and there is there, I mean, you can see it on him it's like is there anything that can help me make sense of my world and as antoine enters the front door of the house there his world changes dramatically he is met with this like chorus of cheers and there's like 50 plus relatives of his extended family and they're all waiting to meet Antoine all right and this is for the first time ever and these are children these are cousins these are uncles these are are even family friends are there Uh, they're all just gathering around this young man and they're smothering him with hugs and they're slapping him on the back and they're they're like these beaming smiles all over the place and one cousin comes up and, and, and says, his name is, is Edward. He says, I'm named after your dad. And one of his aunties, they do this down south a lot, she, uh, she squeezes his cheek, you know. And Antoine, is, he's trying to take it all in. It's like it's almost, it's, it's just too much for this man, all right? The hallway stairs filled with kids, and they're holding up signs, and they've got his name scribbled on them. Then they got little sketches of, like, smiley faces and rainbows and all that kind of stuff. And then he's led into the next room in the movie. And there's this grand feast spread across a long table. The table is just, it's overflowing with chicken and mashed potatoes and pancakes and fruit salad and every kind of dish you can imagine. It's just, it's just prepared for a party. And uh, for the first time in his life, Antoine's loved for the first time. He belongs. The clamor all quiets down. There's an elderly woman there in that room. She's the matriarch of the family. And she's sitting at the head of the table. And she um, she knocks on the table. She gets Antoine's attention. And then she waves for him to come over next to her. With these really, really very slow, very deliberate moves, she raises her arms and grabbing his hands and, and then touching his face. There's a slow tear that runs down her cheek. She's got a very raspy voice. She seems to be trying to get strength up to speak. And it only comes out as a whisper. And she says, Welcome. I, I don't know what your life has held. I don't know what has isolated you or put you in some kind of bondage. I don't know what holds you back from being fully liberated. I don't know what's robbed your identity. I don't know what's taken away your understanding of who you are. I don't know all of these things. I don't need to know these things. What I want you to know is that you are welcome into your identity. You are welcome into who you are in Christ. He has come for you. He has adopted you through his shed blood. You are a joint heir with Jesus Christ. You are in this kingdom for good and for purpose. And God's intent is for you to live as who you are, as one in the kingdom. And he's saying, you come to me 
and, and, and I will give you rest. I will move you and, and give you rest, and you will flourish in me. God's intent is for you and I to be oaks of righteousness that are flourishing in the earth and that are a comfort and a refuge to others in this world. Here's what I'd like for you to do. You have a piece of paper. It's just for you. Remember, if you don't know Jesus, He has come for you. He has come to liberate you from sin and bondage, from a false identity or a no identity. He has come to give you eternal life. That's why He died. He did for you what you could not do for yourself. He is resurrected from that death He died on the cross to take away your sins. And he is at the right hand of the Father. This Jesus who stood up said, This is who I am. And the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. This is what I'm called to do. Who then sat down and said, This is fulfilled in your hearing. Is now sitting at the right hand of the Father. And he is interceding for you. He's praying for you. What holds you back from that identity that will allow you to flourish in Christ? What, what's holding on to you? What's, what's got you captive? What's got your attention? Only you know the real words to put with that. And here's what I'd like for you to do for just a moment. I'd like for you to write down on this little piece of paper. It's not a, not a book now, okay? Just a, just a few words. Just maybe some words that identify the bondage that you feel that you're in. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you right now. And then just, just fold it up. Just fold it up into a little piece of paper, all right? As soon as you know what you need to write, write it down. Fold it up. Would you just take a moment to do that? Would you darken the lights for us just a little bit, Charity, back there, please? This is only for your eyes and no one else's. If you're spouses and you want to compare notes, that's okay, but... Otherwise, it's just for you. Just another minute. I want to pray for you and after I pray when you feel like you can give this to Jesus I'd like for you to just bring it down to the altar here there's a goblet here it's a goblet that's just symbolic it sits on the communion table it represents the blood of Christ that takes away sin I'd like for you to take your little sheet of paper when you feel that you're ready. And I'd like for you to give that bondage to Jesus today. There's nothing magical here. It's going to still require you to walk it out. But we'll do that together as God's people. But let's get free. Let's get liberated.
whatever's holding you back from flourishing and being who you need to be in Christ, whatever's robbing you of your identity in Christ, put it on the piece of paper and let's bring it. I'm going to pray for you. Once you've done that, you're dismissed today. Let's pray. Holy Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus, your Son. There is no other name whereby we are saved and liberated but that of Christ. I ask you that you release upon us the Holy Spirit as a revelator today to reveal to us those things in our lives that are hindering us from being fully liberated and free in you. God, those things that are separating us from a deeper and more fruitful walk with you, those things that are keeping us in bondage from being effective in the kingdom of God, those things that are just causing our prayer life and our worship to be empty and feel almost as though it's void, those things that are causing us shame and guilt, those things that are taking away our joy and our strength, would you... Would you take those things today in the name of Jesus? And would you, as we confess them before you and bring them to you, would you begin to give us the liberation that we so need? Would you begin to show us the way out? And would you help us as a body of believers to be filled with grace? And would you help us to courageously help each other into this liberation that comes only through Christ. Do this for your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name we pray.